It's time for episode 384 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that offers very little to no advice on the stock market. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, good putty, good putty, oh yeah, and dungeon buddy. (laughs) It's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? Good putty? Bye, Micah. Bye. Sell, sell. Bye. (laughs) I don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how the stock market works, let's be clear. <laughs> uh, same, same, very same. Uh, but I do know how this show works. We've got two excellent guests here, and to my left, podcaster right here on Relay FM with originality, as well as host of many a show, or, or panelist of many a show on the incomparable network, and another dungeon buddy of mine, it's Aline Sims. Hello, Aline. Hello, are ticker tape parades still a thing? We should have a ticker tape parade. Whether they're a thing or not, we should make it a thing again. We're also bringing back the guest to my left this week, former editorial director of Mobile Nations, and now YouTube sensation, Renee Ritchie. Welcome back, Renee. Thanks, Dan. I don't know what a TikTok parade is, but I did try to short 300 shares of Clockwise, and I got squeezed. Squeezed so bad. Yeah, you can't short it. It's 30 minutes. It doesn't get any shorter. I didn't realize What's funny is that I don't understand any of the jokes on sort of a, a, a real level, but I know that it's funny just given that the right buzzwords are used, and so that makes me laugh. Anyway, let us begin. My question for you. There was a story recently about a Google researcher who discovered a new uh, security system within iOS, and... I was, you know, super excited that we're adding more security and that there's there's kind of sandboxing on sandboxing on sandboxing. Yes, sandbox is all the way down. But it made me wonder, uh, because it made me think about the obscurity and relative opaqueness of technology, how much is or isn't kind of revealed to the average user. So my question for you, and it's kind of a thinker, How much is too much to reveal to an end user, and how much is too little? What are your thoughts, Aline? For platforms that are used far and wide, so thinking about um, iOS, um, iPhone specifically, um, Android, you know, a lot of a lot of mobile platforms, especially, I think they have to be very secure, and I think that the uh that people shouldn't necessarily know how that security is implemented because the thing is there are always going to be bad actors who will exploit it for people who are power users who really know what they're doing there are systems that that exist that are kind of more open source that they can use um and i think that that's fine for them but f- most people are not incredibly tech savvy. Even I, um, and I'm pretty tech savvy. Like I'm not on the level where, you know, like I, I couldn't put an OPSEC hat on and, and break things down and secure things really well. So I think that, that companies have built this technology and I think that they have a responsibility for the most part to, 
um, do their best to keep people safe. And unfortunately, that means that stuff needs to be locked down and proprietary. Uh, I'm going to come down on this a little differently from Aline because I think it's a matter of perspective. Uh, on the one side, I think that it's really important that security systems be open and documented um, from a technical perspective because security through obscurity, that is, you know, having a security methodology that people don't know about I think that tends to lead to more danger because it's situations in which people are trusting being able to keep a secret over having something that's tested and proven to be secure. So uh, from that side of things, I think it's important to have transparency and openness about what is involved in these security things because I think it leads to a more secure, better product. From the perspective of the consumers using such a product, I agree that the certain degree of opacity is helpful because it prevents cases where people unintentionally disable features that are there to protect them um, or are convinced to disable those features. But, you know, I would rather err on the side of keeping people's computers secure um, than, you know, making things too easy to disable. So it depends on kind of what perspective you're coming from. But I think there's there's virtues to both transparency and opacity in that context. I don't think there's any easy answers to this. I, I know Apple in some cases uses obscurity as an extra layer for security just because they figure if people can't get inside the box, it's going to be harder for them to poke around inside the box or if they can't see inside the box. Uh, and in other cases, we've seen incredibly open source, like widely used large open source components have critical security vulnerabilities just because there is so much code out there that in theory, open source can be audited by anybody. But in practice, nobody's got time to audit it all. We saw this with open uh, DSL. We just saw this now with sudo on, on Linux and now acknowledged in, in Mac OS. So I think I like what Apple does in terms of making these systems as secure as possible then publishing white papers that show in broad strokes how they work, where they're encrypted, how they're encrypted, the types of encryption being used. But I also like that we have projects where people, both the official Apple bug bounty program now, but also the unofficial ones where people just get their hands on on dev units or or now simulators and just hammer on this stuff. Because I think for specifically for Apple, it is popular enough that a lot of people are going to want to go after it with bad intentions. But also a lot of people are going to want to be there with good intentions to try to find this stuff first. But again, in, in broad strokes, I'm taking the complete cop out and saying this, there's no easy answer to this either way. In fact, I'm going to say that I really ask this question to listen and hear what everybody had to say. I don't really have an answer of my own on this one. Um, I think you know, it kind of the general theme seems to be that uh, there's there are parts that that are uh, that that should be revealed to the user, parts that shouldn't, and that there are benefits to both of them. So, thank you for all your answers there. Let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Aline. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited for the uh, iOS 14.5 beta, which is now available, um, and. It's going to bring, once it's widely available, no longer a beta, it's going to bring a lot of quality of life improvements to a lot of people. Um, and so I'm wondering, what are you all most excited to use? Um, well, the the one that's top of the list, which I suspect is top of the list for most people, is the ability to unlock your, your iPhone using your Apple Watch um, if you're wearing a mask. And I think that is a nice... 
um, it's a nice adaptation from Apple based on the realization of the circumstances that we're all in these days. We're out. You might be at the grocery store uh, and need to unlock your phone and realizing, oh, no, I have to type my very long, very secure passcode many times now um, because my phone keeps getting, you know, uh, going back to sleep. Uh, and I know myself, like I, I tend to switch to my uh, grocery list app when I'm in the store, which doesn't turn the screen off. But then still, when I'm putting my phone back in my pocket, the muscle memory still just like clicks the screen off sometimes. And I'm like, now I have to type in my passcode again. Uh, I really face idea spoiled me. Um, so that's one that I'm, I'm really excited about. But I will add into that. And this is more of a rumor because it has not yet been substantiated. But there seems to be some code that suggests that you may be able to add other people in your family to your Apple card, which would actually make my life a lot easier if I could put my wife on that. And then we could sort of pay that from our joint account and make sure that whenever we go grocery shopping, you know, we use that or use that for our Apple Pay related stuff because right now only I have access to it, which is kind of frustrating at times. So those are two things that I think will make a big deal uh, when 14.5 comes out. I'm going to be incredibly, incredibly petty about this just because it's one of those rare occasions where I can. And I think Mike already knows where I'm going because I've been petty about this all week. Uh, there are some there are some people in the world where a feature only exists when Apple gets it. And that was the case with 5G where it came out. And all of a sudden, there were complaints that you couldn't do dual SIM 5G. You had to do one 5G, one 4G. And it, you know, just those complaints came pouring in. But this was true of every phone that used Qualcomm's X55 modem. If you went back and looked at older Android phones like the, the Galaxy S20, they had the exact same problem. So I was curious to find out why. And I started asking everybody I knew, all the different vendors, all the different people who worked on the systems. And it's like, well, Qualcomm said it exists, but they've never pushed out code for it. So I started looking deeper and I mentioned it on Twitter. I said, does anybody know a phone that does this? And I got an incredibly snooty reply from Qualcomm social media saying, it's on our website. And I had to like very patiently explain that putting something on a website and actually enabling it on a device wasn't the same thing. So now we're seeing Apple actually Apple actually push out or get Qualcomm to push out code that'll make 5G plus 5G available to everybody. And it's a huge deal not to those of us in America who can barely find, or North America who can barely find a 5G signal most times, but people in you know Asia, in India, that really need or want dual 5G service. So I'm going to go with, with Dan's answer. This time we'll acknowledge it, though, uh, <laughs> because I I really like the, the new uh, unlock. So the thing that comes with the unlock is, for the longest time, when you've had an Apple Watch on your wrist and a phone, you could say, hey, I want you to unlock my watch whenever I unlock my phone. And so I you know bring up the phone with uh, Touch ID at the time, Face ID now, and my watch watch would unlock if it was on my wrist. Um, now, when you unlock your phone, say in the morning for the first time, and you've put your watch on, there's a little notification that comes down from the top center of the phone that says, and in my case, my watch is called Roxbury. And so it says Roxbury is unlocked. So on top of providing this new system where uh, you can unlock your phone with your watch, if everything has kind of been unlocked before, there's a little bit more notification letting you know, hey, here is a thing that's happening, uh, so that you're just more aware of, of, of the system, what kind of what's going on. And I like that. Aline? The Apple Card stuff is actually what I'm most excited for. Um, I don't have an Apple Card. My husband does. And we're those people who are fortunate enough to be able to um, charge pretty much all of our – use a credit card to 
for most of our purchases and then we pay it off at the end of the month. And um, we've recently made a big purchase and that means that we've got to be a, a lot more um, diligent about our budgeting than we have been in the past. And so um, having him being able to add me to his Apple card and being able to use kind of their data visualization and categorization and that kind of thing, I think is going to be really, really handy for us in our budgeting and, um, you know, not overextending us as we buy a car. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, as we were going over our budget last week, my husband was like, oh, I wish I could add you to my Apple card. This is, you know, because we have a chase card right now. And he's like, this is, it's not, it's not as good. And I just want to be able to see the colors. And so now we'll potentially be able to do that. So that's pretty cool. Well, folks, we have reached halftime here at Clockwise. And that means I get to tell you about an awesome, awesome sponsor. It's Smile and their PDF Pen program. You can power through PDFs with the Mac community's favorite PDF editor so you can fall in love with working on PDFs again. With PDF Pen, you can show PDFs who's boss. You can edit any PDF with the click of a button, fix typos, add text as easily as you would in Word. You can breathe new life into paper documents thanks to OCR. You can turn images of handwritten and printed text into content you can search, you can copy, and most importantly, you can edit. Protect your content. Ensure your documents are safe to share through password protection, metadata removal, and true redaction. Not that redaction that people can go in and edit and see what's underneath it. And also look like a pro. Impress your boss, your colleagues, and your clients with efficient, secure, and 100% digital workflows and fill out, sign, and copy edit like it's 2021. Yes, it is. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro work with the PDF Pen app for iPad and iPhone, so you can get editing across devices with cloud services, iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, and so much more. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Thanks so much to PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and of course, Smile for their support of Relay FM. righty, Dan, what have you got for us? So, following on uh, Alien's Heels there, the new beta of macOS Big Sur, which also came out this week, brings with it the ability to use a stereo HomePod pair as the system audio output, which is a feature that I have been harping on wanting for a while now. I'm kind of curious, what's a software feature that you're still waiting to be added to your favorite platform, Renee? I have so many wants and needs that just feel like they're not being met by current, like just even smartphones. And I know we're, it feels like we're saturated and that we've gotten all the phones that we'll ever need, but they still, they don't do even basic, th- like basic things. They don't last long enough. Like the battery technology is still terrible. And I think software is still a solution to solving that. And even just like bless all these personal assistants. Some of them are way better than others, but none of them rise up to even a I, I, what what a what a I don't know what like someone fresh out of diapers could do for you as a human insist, uh, assistant still. So my my big dream is is Siri OS where we have you know or call it what you want but we have an intermediary AI layer between us and the cloud that just tries to actually be helpful to us and surfaces and fixes all the things that we need doing all the heavy lifting the things that don't actually require um, the personalized touch from us things that are just chores that are grunt work. It takes care of that, of scheduling us, of alerting us, of things are overbooked, of 
pointing things out to us, of, of bringing up routine things that we do all the time. And it, it exists in all the movies. All the movies have really, really good functionality like this. So I just, I think they should make it real for once. Uh, my partner recently upgraded to a Face ID phone, iPhone. And one of the things that he's complained a lot about are, because he's just now having that experience of, uh, you know, pivoting from touch ID to face ID and what the limitations are there. And so I have to kick it back to a Renee classic of a of authentication that's kind of ambient that's happening at all times. It's uh, checking your walking gait. It, it it senses your fingerprints whenever you touch the screen. It uh, spots your face whenever you are looking at it. And kind of throughout the day and different things that you do, it can continue to say, ah, yes, this is definitely you. And so it doesn't need to use just one type of authentication and can therefore kind of keep your device unlocked and I think would be an excellent improvement and something that I will continue to wait for till the day it finally arrives. Aline, what about you? Okay, you you both have these introspective, great um, answers. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be able to, on iOS, because um, my Mac is actually not my primary computing platform, um, I want to be able to tap on a phone number and text it. Don't want to call it. I never want to call anybody ever. Don't make me call. I want to send a text message. Why can't I do that? So that's like, (laughs) just make it easier for me to text somebody. I don't want to talk to anyone, um, she said on the podcast. I, I think we look at computing technology a lot of the time when we're talking about these as being like mature platforms. Um, when, uh, you know, the reality is, there's something next. We just don't know what it is yet. And it might not look like the movies. Um, we, it might not be, you know, like, um, what is it? Minority report with the flicking and flinging of things everywhere or even the expanse, you know, but I think we're just kind of waiting to figure out what the next thing is. And I'm kind of excited to see what that'll be. Uh, those are all great answers. I think the one thing I would add on there is a, a smaller thing. iOS 14 debuted uh, this cool, you know, translate functionality built into Safari, and there's a translate app on the i on the iOS uh, on iOS. Uh, why isn't it built into Messages <laughs> or uh, Mail? I mean, places where maybe you want to communicate with people who have uh, don't speak the same language as you. I just think that'd be really convenient. Why do I have to copy and paste stuff into a separate app to do that? Just just make a little button. Make a little button. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our final topic today, which comes from Renee. So Tim Cook once again took stage at the European Data Conference, where last time he set up Apple's sort of four four laws of data robotics about not accumulating data, not making it transparent, making it available, making it deletable. This time, though, he chose to turn on a flamethrower and point it pretty much in Mark Zuckerberg's general direction, saying that if these companies' business models aren't working, they need to be reformed and that it should never be about extremism and uh, the damage they're doing to our culture just in in search of a little more profit and a little higher click-through rate on targeted ads. And some of the pushback has been, especially from what, what, what Tim Cook calls the data industrial complex, has been that Apple charges a lot of money. So privacy from Apple is a luxury that only they can afford but at the on the other side, because Facebook and companies like Google accumulate so much data, they can afford to give away everything else for free. 
and I was wondering where everybody here stood on, on that argument. Is this, is Apple doing this because it's righteous or because it's really convenient giving their business model, given their business model? It's very easy to make the observation that because Apple chose not to make its cons- its customers its product, uh, that it doesn't have to make its customers its product. But yeah, yeah, I don't see how that has any any um, bearing on sort of the 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 argument that our privacy should be protected and that there are negative aspects of uh, targeted ad tracking kind of playing the role that it has. So maybe it's convenient in the sense that Apple doesn't make its customers its product, but that's because it doesn't make its customers its product. So I don't see how that adds to the, the argument at all. What about you, Aline? I think this is another case of there's not a clear-cut answer. Why not both? Part of the reason that I am an Apple fan is um, I think the era of Tim Cook, and I, re- I wrote about this on my blog uh, years ago during WWDC, I think maybe 2015. The era of Steve Jobs, I think, was about like pushing the envelope, pushing technology forward um, at at all costs. Like I'm not saying he was a horrible person, but he – wasn't great to a lot of people and a lot of people he worked with or worked for him. I think the era of Tim Cook has, yeah, it's it's about making money. It's a business. They exist to make money. But I also think that it is about people. And I think that that Tim Cook specifically has demonstrated this time and time again. And so I think that there's kind of a balancing act here. Yeah, Apple can afford to be, you know, high-minded about it. But also, you know, Mark Zuckerberg made a choice. When Twitter was founded, they made a choice. They decided it would be free. Um, but I do think that that Apple takes the stand that it takes mostly because th- Tim Cook specifically believes that people are important and that um, it's more important to behave as ethically as possible um, within our capitalistic society. Um and so, yeah, there there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with Aline. It's both. It's a convenient righteousness. And it's convenient in part because Apple is a 40-plus-year-old company. And this was not even a possibility when they founded the company and started making products. And in fact, they made products for like almost 25 years before it really became a viable business model. Um, Google and Facebook and Twitter, none of them have that luxury. They all came into being in an age when we were all interconnected and where privacy was still being on on, uh, digital privacy was still being sort of hammered out. And it was kind of the Wild West. So I think Apple has had the convenience of being able to say, we make stuff. We've always made stuff. That's always going to be our business model. And fortunately, they've been very successful at it. I think there's important to draw a line between when it comes to a company espousing these kinds of views, I think it's always good to be skeptical. It's always good to say, well, what do they get out of this? What is the bottom line? How does this benefit them? That's just smart being a smart consumer. However, I think, you know, there's also the risk of tipping over that line and becoming cynical about it and saying, I can't ever trust anything that a company does. I can't ever trust that they're saying something that they believe. Uh, And I understand why a lot of people feel that way. I mean, these companies make millions and billions of dollars, and it often feels like you are not something that they care about. 
But I think at the same time, it's worth remembering that companies are, as Lee just said, made up of people. And you probably shouldn't always assume those people are 100% bad actors, because I think that is sort of where that cynicism becomes damaging. So in the end, again, it's both. It's Apple has the convenience to be able to make this declaration that they believe in, uh, and they believe in it. Renee, you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, sure. I mean, my longstanding belief has been that any company sufficiently large is indistinguishable from evil, just because as they grow, their consumer base grows, and it becomes harder and harder to properly address the needs of everyone in that consumer group. And the people whose, need, whose needs aren't being met are going to feel slighted uh, or taken advantage of or, or left behind. But I think in this specific case, too, there comes a time in, in almost every company's you know arc in their story where they're given a choice between maximizing profits and maybe making a little bit less money, but doing things that are a little bit better for the world. And it can be silly, like Apple routinely has, you know, they could, I forget, there was this famous uh, saying from Steve Jobs where he's like, yeah, that's a good business. We can make a couple hundred million dollars, but do we really want to be in it? And examples of that are like, they don't sell t-shirts in every store, even though people really want Apple merchandise and they can make a lot more money with it. But they also don't, they also will not license any technology uh, to be used to, for for weaponization or to hurt people in that sense. And it was clear, we've seen court documents that Mark Zuckerberg was given a choice. It was presented to him that a lot of the tools that they were using were were making people extreme, were espousing conspiracy theories, and that if they if they prevented that, if they dialed that back, it would cost them a little bit of money, not an egregious amount of money, but a little bit amount of money. And they made a choice to go for maximum money instead of balancing the needs of you know, humanity against uh, the, the profit. And I think that's where it becomes dangerous, especially because unlike Apple and Twitter and a lot of other companies, Facebook designed its IPO, everything about it, so that Mark still has absolute control. And I think that's most dangerous, especially for Mark, because when you have no fear of your actions ever being held to account, you often make worse choices than if you have some level of fear of a board of directors or of an actual set of shareholders who are powerful enough to do something about it. So I agree with everybody. I think Apple has has built a business where they can they have the convenience of doing this, but they've also made a conscious choice to leverage that in order to do it. And I'm happy about that because it happens to serve my needs too. We are running out of time, but I do want to tell you about Pingdom. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience a website differs depending on the browser, the device, and the platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Just go give it a shot. Then when you sign up, use the code clockwise at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, here is my bonus topic for you quickly. Your least favorite color plus something on your desk or near you is your next startup idea. 
briefly describe your next startup idea. Aline? My least favorite color is brown. Something that is on my desk is a bottle of water. Therefore, my startup idea is coffee. What makes us different is that our packaging is all sustainable in that it is made from coffee byproducts like grinds and husks and whatever coffee making stuff is. And we we do donate 10% of our proceeds to um to places where clean water is needed so that they can I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like Flint, Michigan so that oh, we can nice. help get them clean water readily available as they so so richly deserve. Wow, that's way more in depth than mine. Mine is beige sheet. Uh and it's a service that helps you go paperless by shredding all of your paper as you get it. <laughs> nice. I love it. Mail right into the shredder. <laughs> Renee uh puke green and a color checker so i am going to market a puke green color checker so that when you set your white white balance on it you get a rosier glow than any human is actually entitled to <laughs> uh for mine it is red mouse and it is uh, a a subscription service for you to get to try new computer mice all the time so they'll ship one to you you can decide if you like the buttons or not and you get to keep it if you want it or send it back and try out a new mouse red mouse uh, check it out coming soon to an internet near you. Uh, folks, we have reached the end of another episode of Clockwise. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests for joining us. Aline Sims, you are a delight as always. Thank you so much for being here. It was good to talk with you, friends. And Renee Ritchie, thank you so much for being here this week. Uh, always great to talk to fellow humans. And Micah, we'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.